It's really my pleasure to be able to come here. I feel that that uh, there's always so many prayers that are offered up by the, the wonderful people here, and I really appreciate the, the work of this particular body of Christ, this particular congregation, and the lives of the students at Rice University, how they give so much of their time to pick them up and to bring them here, to take them shopping on, on Saturday nights and do these things. Thank you for doing that. Today I want to uh, share with you something about my life and share with you in particular the very same story that, that drew me to Jesus. Or did, did you control it? Or? Okay, it's working now. Good. So, I didn't come from a Christian home. I was, uh, I was born into a Jewish family in New York City. And we never talked much about God. It wasn't a big thing in our lives. We were what's called a secular Jewish family. So, so uh, I never thought much about God growing up. I mean, in, when, I, when I became a teenager, a little later on in life, I had thought a little bit about God, but, but really not much. I had done very little reading. I had very little knowledge about God. And, and uh, so I was in college at that time. And when I was in college, uh, I met a young man. And we were in the laundry room doing laundry. And it was, it was near, near the beginning of my freshman year when I met this young man, and it was in August of my freshman year, and we were, we were doing laundry in the laundry room, and I began to talk with him. And uh, I asked him what he wanted to do when he graduated from college, and he told me that he wanted to go into something called lay ministry. And I didn't know what lay ministry was. I had no idea what it was. And he said, oh, it's like being a missionary. And I had, I had no idea what, what being a missionary was or what it meant. And, and uh, I was kind of surprised at that. And then he told me that he'd like to give me an illustration of the gospel. And I had no idea what he meant. And, and uh, I said, you know, you're welcome to do that. You can come to my room anytime and, and tell me about, about uh, this story. And so he did. And I'm going to tell you tonight the very same story that he told to me. And, in fact, I'm going to draw you here the same picture that he drew for me in my room that night. He drew it out on a, on a piece of paper, but, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you the same thing here so you can see exactly what I heard the night that I, that I first heard about Jesus Christ. So this was a message he told me called the Good News or the Gospel, and it's, it's termed the Good News. And what he said is, he said, what you have is you have a chasm, and you have people on one side, and God on another side. So this is, this is what he said to me, that you have people on one side, and God on another side. And the people are separated from God by this, this large chasm that's here that separates people from God. And so there's this separation that had occurred between us. And so this was new to me. I hadn't heard this before. And he said, actually, the thing that actually separates us is sin. So it's sin that separates people from God. And he had me read this verse. And so I read this verse, and it was Romans 3.23. 
And it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in other words, we've sinned and we fall short. We can't get to God. And I remember looking at him and I said to this young man, I said, I'm not a sinner. I haven't sinned. And this seems sometimes like a very strange comment to people, but I never viewed myself as one who sinned. And, and uh, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've never killed anybody, so how could I have really sinned? I mean, I, I, I didn't you know, intentionally go out trying to hurt people, at least not often. And uh, um, so how could I be a sinner? So he turned to another verse in the scriptures and he had me read it. And it says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I was 18 years old. And for somebody to say this to an 18 year old, I mean, you certainly know what what goes through your own mind. And with me, it was particularly painful when I read this because it was as if something really hit me hard when I read this verse. Because it talks about, it talks about here that, that if I just look at a woman improperly, I've already committed adultery with her, with her in, in my heart. So what happens in my heart has a big effect. So it's not merely what I might do, not merely an action, but it's what I might think that could make me a sinner. What I might dwell on, what happens in my heart, which is the seat of emotions. And for me, again, it was particularly powerful because for many years I had, I had been involved in uh, pornography. This was long before the internet and I had worked in a gas station and just going into New York City and my first job was cleaning the parking lots. And I used to find a lot of magazines there as the, the salesman would go home on, the, on Friday nights. They would throw away their magazines. And I became addicted to this at a very young age. And so immediately I knew that I was a sinner. It really hit me. This was not a joke anymore. Something happened because I was a sinner. There was something in my life. I had a real struggle here and I... I was thinking about that. Then he he had me look at another verse. And it says, For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. And so he drew this arrow that we might try by works to somehow get to God. Somehow we might try to get to God, but we are prevented from getting to God. Because this arrow always falls short and we fall into sin. So there's nothing that I could do to work my way into a relationship with God. I think it's natural to think that, oh, if I do good things for people, somehow that will get me to God. That's the natural thought. If I do something good, it's going to outweigh anything that I may have done bad. And if I do enough good things, I'll get to God. But this scripture makes it clear that it's, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one should boast. That my works cannot get me to God. And I remember him drawing this arrow where people always want to get to God, but they fall short. We can't get to God. 
And the only way we could get to God is through grace, through faith. So by grace given to God through faith, it's a gift from God. Only God could get me to himself. Then he had me read another verse. And that verse says, that verse says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. That means that because of my sins, I deserve to spiritually die. In other words, I don't deserve to get to God. Not only can I not get to God, I don't deserve to get to God. But it's a free gift. God gives it as a free gift. This free gift from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in other words, God can grant me eternal life with Him as a gift. Again, I was like many of you. This was all new to me. I didn't know this. I had never heard this story before. I didn't know this. Then I read another verse he put in front of me. and says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for me. So in other words, remember that the wages of sin is death. Because of my sin, I deserve to spiritually die and not get to God. To be forever separated from God and not get to Him. But, it says that He loved me and He demonstrated that love so that while I'm yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. This is what He did in my life. Jesus died for me. This was all new. That Jesus should die for me. So he drew this cross. And he drew drew the, the name Jesus Christ across it. That Jesus builds a bridge between me and God. That he died for me. And that this death builds a bridge between me and God. Jesus did this. What a remarkable thing that he would do for me. That Jesus builds this bridge to get me to God. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We think about how profound this is. How can I be saved? How can I do this? How can this be done? And look what it says. That if I will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if I would do this, if I would confess it with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. And if I would believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, this is a remarkable thing, that Jesus rose from the dead. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. How can a man believe this? How can anyone believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? This is incredible. People don't normally rise from the dead. When you're dead, you're dead. 
The only way you could believe this is that God places it within the heart of human beings to be able to believe this. It's so utterly incredible that a man would rise from the dead. And that it's important that I believe that. It's only through confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. Through that, from that, I will be saved. I must believe that He's risen from the dead. I must be willing to confess that He's Lord. And then I can be saved. There's this gift by which I can now be saved. This is what it says. And so then, He takes us and He brings us into a relationship with God. Through this, and this is what He drew on this paper. He drew this arrow and He drew the person standing on the side with God. A relationship with God. This is what I could have. I knew because of that verse that I had read that I was a sinner. This was to me profound revelation that I was now a sinner. But I could get to God in this way. But it would require my, belief, my confessing that Jesus is Lord. It would require my believing in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. And then I could be saved. Then I could have a relationship with God. Then there was the night of November 7th, 1977. So this young man had shared with me in August or early September of 1977, and I was a freshman in college, and um, then I was all alone in my room on November 7th, 1977, and I had been thinking over that last month and a half, about or two months, about, about the things that I had heard, about the verses that I had read. And I had started attending a little Bible study that they had there on the, on the floor in the dormitory and just learning a few simple things from the Bible. And I was all alone in my room. And I'm not even sure what prompted me to do this. In this dormitory room all alone, my roommate wasn't in. I got down on my knees. I got down on my knees. And I asked Jesus, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin. I asked Jesus, I said, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. At that moment, at that moment, it was as if there were a man standing in my room. It was as if he was standing there and I opened my eyes because I thought Jesus was standing there. And I couldn't see Him. I saw nobody. But the sense of His presence was so real. was so powerful. That I didn't want to get up and I just started weeping alone in my room. I didn't want to get up. And I felt that God of heaven and earth was pouring out forgiveness upon me. That this burden of sin that I had been carrying since I read that verse was now being lifted up off of me. And the feeling of His presence was so great. Something happened to me that day, November 7th, 1977. Something happened to me. I was all alone in my room and something happened. 
And remember, I, I didn't tell anybody. And after about two weeks, this young man came and he, he saw me in the hallway. He, he asked me, he says, Jim, have you, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? I said, I, I think I have. Why do you ask? He says, you haven't stopped smiling for weeks. Something happened to me on that day where I had a joy that I never knew. I had a lot of anger in my heart prior to that and a lot of confusion and, and uh, discontentment and something happened that day. The other thing that happened that day is, and, and this is unusual, this doesn't always happen to people. In fact, most of the time it doesn't happen to people, but that day, that desire for pornography totally broke in my life. I was able to get rid of the magazines and it, because the Lord used that to convict me of my sin. And He used the demonstration of His entrance into my life and the breaking of that habit in my life to show me His power. Now, there were many other struggles that I had that took years to work, with, work out. Many other struggles that I had that I still have to deal with. But that particular one, He delivered me from that night. There was some relationship that I now have with God. I was different. I felt that I was communing, that I was speaking with God. And then I thought, how shall we remain close to God? I didn't want to fall away. You know, because I had met people who said that they were Christians and there was no substantive difference in their lives between them and anyone else in the world. And then on the other hand, I had met some Christians that really loved God and it just showed in their face, in their lives, in their ability, and their desire to help people and others. So how could I remain close to God? So I remember asking this young man who had shared this story with me, how can I remain close to God? And he gave me a few pointers on remaining close to God. That was a long time ago. It was 34 years ago. And I still have a closeness to God. And so what I'm going to tell you is the secret by which now not only can you come to the Lord, but by which you can remain close to God. So that you see the power of God working in your life. Remaining close to God, the need to read the Bible. The Bible says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. See what the scriptures say. It says, if you will delight in His law, delight in the written Word of God, meditating on it day and night, you're going to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. You do not have to worry about falling away if you will read this book every day. Meditate on it day and night. I have read the Bible every day of my life for over 30 years. 
What I do is I start on page 1, Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, verse 1. And I start reading, and then I pick up the next day where I left off the day before. And when I finish, get to Revelation chapter 22, I start again. And I have no particular amount that I have to finish in a day. I just enjoy the Lord. And God speaks to me through the Scriptures. I'm telling you, I pick up the Bible and I start to read and I say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Speak to me. And God speaks to me. He gives me insight. He gives me wisdom for the day. He gives me understanding. God speaks through the written Word. And by this, you will remain close to God. By meditating on the Scriptures, you will remain close to God. And the Scriptures give a guarantee of prosperity. And I don't know what your prosperity is going to be. You know, you you will die in prosperity. Things will come in your life. God will do good in your life. There's a promise. He gives us many promises. Some are coupled to acts of obedience, some are not. As human beings, He gives us air to breathe, this gift of air to breathe. He doesn't have to, but He does. When we believe in Christ, He gives us this gift of eternal life. He doesn't have to, but He does. But there are other promises and other blessings that are coupled to acts of obedience. This is one that's coupled to an act of obedience. You are going to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in a season when everyone else around you is withering. You will be yielding good fruit. If you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, if you make it your meditation, you will succeed. That I know. You can meet Christians that have no substantive difference in their lives between them and the person on the street. But if you will meditate on the Word of God every day, every day, there's no promise for every other day. Maybe there's a blessing, maybe there's not. But there is a promise for every day. There is a promise for every day, and that's how you capture it, every single day. And to this day, I always have a pocket full of Scripture verses that I'm memorizing and meditating upon. been doing this for many, many decades now. Another way is the need to have Christian friends. So that, how can you remain close to God? Well, the scriptures say, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. To be able to be around other Christians, you will find that if you receive the Lord in your life, you will remain closer to God as you have fellowship. That's an important part of remaining close to God. It's very difficult to remain close to God alone. Now, there are situations that could come where maybe you're persecuted and thrown in prison and you're separated. God will give you special grace. But at this time, it's important if you want to remain close to God, that you have proper fellowship, that you spend time with other Christians, that you have proper fellowship with Him with others, and that you'd remain close to God in this, because they're there to encourage you. Another thing is understanding God's forgiveness. Of Him all the prophets bear witness, 
that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. I mean, so often you would think, you would think after 34 years of being a Christian that I would be done with sin, that it would be past me, that I've somehow risen to some level where I don't sin anymore. One would think that that would happen, but it hasn't. But understanding the forgiveness of God, so that when I do sin, that I understand that through His name, I believe in Him, so I receive forgiveness. His forgiveness is there. You know what happens to people? Sometimes they think, you know, I've sinned too much in my life, or I'm too much of a sin, I just can't walk with God. God would never receive me. But that's not true. There's no scriptural basis to have such a thought. The scripture clearly says that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. This is critical for remaining close to God, understanding His forgiveness. Understanding His forgiveness. He loves you. He loves you. He forgives you. And then walking in God's love, understanding God's love for you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you will understand the depth of His love, so that when you fail in life, when things come crashing around you, when loved ones die, when all the things that happen to everyone come against you, when you, these things come, that you can still understand that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And this gives you this enormous strength. When everybody else is doubting what's going to happen, you understand the love of God and it brings this enormous peace. I remember on 9-11 when that hit, so many students at Rice were just, thought, what am I doing in school? I mean, there's not going to be anything left for me. And I just say, it's fine. It's going to be okay. You will be like a rock. You will be so strong if you understand that His love for you doesn't change. The world changes. The world will throw many things at you. Life can change on a dime. But, God loves you. Understanding God's love for you and the depth of His love. Understanding that, you know, your spouse might not even love you anymore, but God loves you. God loves you. You may be rejected by a person. You may even be rejected by a parent. Or a parent may be rejected by a child. But understanding God's love for you this is critical. If you understand this, you will remain close to God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, your word is good and powerful. And I pray, Lord, for these students here today.
in the name of Jesus, that you move in upon their hearts even now. In the name of Jesus, that the power of God would move in. Lord, I pray that you would stir up the heart, that just as you came into my life, you would come into theirs. Father, that they would see that if they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised Him from the dead, that they would be saved. Father, You know their struggles. You know their pains. You know the wonder within their hearts. Father, I pray that You would move in in an individual way as You did with me. Father, I pray that these young people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because of your mercies, pour out grace upon grace because of your mercies and touch their lives and draw them to you. Father, save their souls, I pray. Save their souls. And I commit them to you in the name of my Lord Jesus. Amen.